When I was uh, a kid, um, my neighbors bought this horse, and they didn't have a lot of property. So what they would do is they would take the fence, and it had two electric lines, and they would just move the fence around to different sections of the yard, the fence off the yard, to, uh, to allow the, the horse to graze. Well, one day they moved it in front of their driveway, and I didn't know it. So I'm riding my bike to go see my friends. I'm just trucking along on my bicycle to go up to this house. Ran right into the electric fence. And it was just on these poles. It wasn't even like it was mounted in the ground or whatever it was, but not like it was temporary, so they would move it around. And I got completely tangled up in that. I mean, I remember falling and it being on my arm and my leg and my, my pedal was around it. And I am being electrocuted, okay, <laughs> the whole time. And it's just like buzzing me the whole time. And I, I remember it like crazy because I remember getting so caught up in it that it was hurting me, but I didn't know how to get out of it. It was a miserable place to be. And I remember just yelling and yelling and uh, because my leg was caught, uh, caught up in that and and it, re- it reminded me of this verse, and this won't be my main passage. I actually, I don't like doing this, but I am going to skip around, but mainly hit our points out of Hebrews chapter 10. But in Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this world. I mean, you, you think about that description. I'm being tangled up. I mean, I mean just to be... An innocent encounter with something that you're curious about or a problem that you didn't think was a problem or a, a, a hate problem or a bitterness that grows into something to where you wake up and you're mad and you go to that person and you're mad and you're sitting in church and you're mad. You, can't, you get caught up in it. This world has so many lust issues right now that it's, it's everywhere and people get tangled up in that. No man that warth can entangle himself. You cannot, you cannot fight when you're wrapped up in a sin. You cannot wrap when you're wrapped up in mental depression and the different things. You cannot fight when sin gets a grip on you, grabs you, holds you down. 2 Timothy 2.26 That they may recover themselves out of the snares of the devil who have been taken captive by will, by him at his will. You think about that. That the snare of the devil is a trap to be taken to catch up. And you sit there and say, I'm okay. Maybe you need to stop and figure out where you're at right now. If you're, you're not happy and you're not serving and you're not thriving because of the fact that you are captured mentally, emotionally, physically. You realize that you can be saved by God, love God, and yet Satan still have a grip on you when it comes to some sort of sex, lust, greed, hate, language, drug. You're on your way to heaven. He's, you're jerking your chain the entire your time you're here, reminding you that you're a slave to him. I hope this works. Because this was on my heart and I couldn't shake it. This is a silly illustration, but work with me. This is most, if not all of us here today. And I, and I thought of this illustration of simply because of the fact we try so hard to look like we have it all together. I mean, we'll come to church and nobody walks to the door and says, how are you doing? Caught up in sin. Have a good morning. I mean, nobody says that. You know what I'm saying? Struggled this morning, yelled at my wife, cussed out my kids, but I'm here at church. I mean, nobody's going to do that. 
I guarantee you, anybody that you asked this morning, you went up to him and said, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How about you? In the Lord's house, ready to worship God. Amen. Amen, brother. I mean, we got all the language down. That's what it is. But I tell you, if you were to go back through your week, would it, would it have been that way all through the week? Did, did, did you have that time that you're glad nobody sees? Because I tell you what, we do a good job of covering it up. That explosive anger where you got mad or that, that wording that you cussed at your spouse or those kids that you dogged out or that, that, that drug problem or prescription drug problem or that marijuana and the weed problem and the thing that you keep telling your wife you got it all taken care of and it's no big deal or that lust problem or that movie problem or the premarital sex problem. Nobody wears a sign that says I'm broken. Nobody walks through saying I'm addicted. Nobody walks around saying, I feel trapped. You're never going to shake somebody's hand and they say, well, I'm ate up with bitterness this morning. Psalm 51, and I told you I'm going to kind of be all over the place. I want to, I want to get to this. Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. He didn't say, God doesn't walk in and say, well, you are having a good day. God bless you, buddy. God will never do that. God says, well, you put on a good show today. I know your heart. And I know how you felt when you worshiped today. I know that you were sickened. I know that you're filled with guilt. I know that you feel depressed. I know that you're aggravated. I know that you weren't holding your wife's hand because you're arguing right now. I know that your attention wasn't on the service because you have a drug in your system. I know that you feel consumed with something because you promised yourself 15 times that you were going to quit whatever it is and you're still doing it. And God says, I just wish you would understand that I desire truth of the inward parts. God sees the inside. The inward, what you know, how you feel, what's on the inside that nobody else knows about. The part of you that you don't want people to see. That's why we wrap it up in a smile. That's why we wrap it up in goodness. That's why we do all these things. So this is, this is what God does. God comes up to us and says, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I know who you are and I know what it is. And so we're just going to, this, this is what God does, So just so you go, guys know. God, God tears it apart to get to the inward parts. And then God comes back and says, that's what I see. God says, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went to church and you look all great. And that dress was pretty and that smile was great. And you even lifted your hands when we worship. But God says, this is what I see on the inside of you that you've been dealing with. And that, that right there is a miserable place to be. Because that is, that's premarital sex. When you know that God said for a man and a woman not to be together. And you can say, well, everybody does. And it's the way that the world is. It doesn't please God. It will not be happy. It will not make you happy. And it makes you consumed with sin. And you're sitting there, I don't know why, God. I don't know I'm so unhappy. All this guts is it. That's what it is. It's an unhealthy relationship that God can't bless you know what is wrong, and he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And I mean, I'm going to be honest. What I'm saying right now is not popular. Not everybody's going to go, oh, that was great today. I know that. But God desires truth of the inward parts. God, God we're, we're not as pastors, we're not as Christians to walk around and try to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy about themselves. Because the truth of the matter is when that sin stays in your life, it will consume you. It will make you miserable. It will rob you. It's, it's not supposed to be there. That thing that you're hiding from your parents, teenager, God sees it. 
that bitterness towards someone in church that you go the other way every time you see them, God sees it. That lust problem that you can't kick, God sees it. That bad habit you hide, God sees it. The anger issue, God sees it. Your foul mouth. And you tell your wife, well, well, I can't help it. You know what it is? All you're doing is justifying it because you know you would, you, you would get onto your kids for half the things you do yourself. It's, it's the inward part that God sees. Allow me to explain it because it doesn't stop there. Allow me to explain the part because God, God might see you when it comes to this and you're saying, well, this, I, I, I see those things, but that, it, it's, that, it doesn't just stop there. God starts doing this. And so let me tell you about what I do see. And says, I know how you feel. You want to tell me this isn't true? I promise you this is true. It, it will make you nauseous. When that sin is in your life, it brings guilt on you like you would not believe. Dave, David said it makes me sick. Psalm 51, verse 3, David said, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Think about that wording of that. My sin is ever before me. That, that is that guilt of, why'd you ask me that? And what, what do you mean, where I was I? What, 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 do, you, what, do, you, what do you mean? It's, just, it's that paranoia. It's, it's that guilt that comes over you. You guys think half the things that I say from the pulpit or I'll get up there and say, God hates premarital sex. And then everybody's like, my mom's talking to him. He knows all about it. He saw me out of there. It's like, it's guilt. It's all over your face. It, it, it is like when you eat and you feel like you have something on your face at a restaurant. And you're the whole time sitting there going, I wonder if I got it. You go to the mirror. There's nothing there. But man, you're just paranoid. I've got something, you know, on my face. I got something going on. I, I, some, they looked at me funny. It's guilt. And let me tell you, Satan loves it. He loves for you to feel guilty. He loves for you to be consumed and feel embarrassed. He loves it. Because it will rob you. It will rob you of your worship. It will rob you of your joy. You won't. I'll tell you, when you're, when you're like this in church, there is no way you're going to be, you know, singing, I am clean. <laughs> you're not. You know what we do when we're guilty? We, we cover up. We do the opposite. We try to drop our head. We don't lift our voices. We don't lift up our attention to God. We're not going to. Adam and Eve, walking with God, praising God, loving God, doing all those things. They sinned. What did they do? They did two things. They covered their nakedness with fig leaves, and then they hid themselves in the garden. Now, you might physically not do that, but I tell you, emotionally and spiritually, we do that with God. We sin, and we're just like, you know, we, we, we don't... Hey, we, we need help for Bible school. Some of you are not signing up for Bible school because you're so consumed with guilting your life that you don't feel like you're good enough to serve God in those ways. And I tell you, you wouldn't enjoy it anyways because you need to get the junk out. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being, trying to get up here and be judgmental, but I'm just telling you the truth. And the truth is about guilt. It won't just go away. Some people have guilt like crazy and it consumes them and it gets heavy and it, and it consumes you over and over again. And guilt intensifies. Guilt loves to make us feel broken. Psalm 51 verse 8, David continues and he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Do you know what he's saying by that? God, I feel dead. 
I feel, Lord, I, I, I don't feel joy. I don't feel happy. You were meant to be happy. God designed you to be happy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If you are not happy, something is wrong. It should not be to where, when we're singing about the blood of Jesus and what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus, that shouldn't be a time to feel like, oh man, I'm so unworthy. That's a time to feel like, man, God is so good. We come and we wash, we cleanse, we go before God to where he puts us in the place where we can worship. He said in the rest of that verse that the bones, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Think about how he, he felt, man, alive. Just like, I'm done. Lord, I am miserable. Verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Can you imagine having to tell God, don't look at me? God, please don't look at me. You think you feel that way around everybody around you? That, that is how we feel before God. There's one more layer that I want to get to. This is the part Satan loves. He feels so stinking unworthy. Unworthy to praise God. Unworthy to serve Him. Unworthy to praise. Unworthy to love. Unworthy to be used by God. David and people in the Bible, they just get to that place where... I don't pray anymore. Have you, ever, have you ever known people that don't even pray anymore? Because of the fact is they don't feel like God cares enough about them. You, you feel so unworthy and then, then you have to deal with the embarrassment that comes along with it. You feel so unworthy when somebody comes up and says, well, why aren't you driving? What do you mean you lost your license? Hey, I, I noticed the cops were at your house the other day. What was that about? How did you lose your job, by the way? I'm just curious. Why, why did you say, I, I remember you were serving in this area, you're not serving there anymore. What happened? I'm done. At this stage right here is usually when people start disappearing from church. And they, they, this, they, you're not going to find them at the altar, you're not going to find them in the choir, you're not going to find them because they feel unworthy. Listen to how David felt, Psalm 51 verse 2, when he said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, wash me, cleanse me, wash me, cleanse me. What are those words talking about? Lord, I feel dirty. That, that's the reason you want to be washed. That's the reason you want to be cleaned. Because you feel dirty. Satan loves that position. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. I, w- I want to preach, and now we'll get into our points. I, I really want to, I w- just want to... God desires the inward parts. God says, here you are. That's you. Okay? I know how you feel. And I'm not even saying this. This is you, by the way. Remember? We, we, we try to say, God says I'm unworthy. No, 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 no. God isn't saying you're unworthy. He wouldn't have died on the cross if you were unworthy. He, he cares about you. He loves you. We're a child of God. We find ourselves unworthy of that, but we're sinned about and graced much more abound. While you're turning to Hebrews, I'm going to tell you the message that I was going to preach. I, I turned over there in John chapter 13. 
Jesus was calling the disciples. This is I was going to make the whole message about this thought. And then the Lord pulled me over to Hebrews. Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Andrew, all those guys go up to the upper room to be with Jesus. You guys know, a lot of you know the story of this upper room, the Last Supper. A lot of that we put the emphasis on the Last Supper. They get up there. And back in their culture of what they would do during that time is when they would walk through the door, there would be a servant there to wash their feet. That was the servant's job. And the servant that would wash their feet was the lowest of all the servants that would wash, that, that, the lowest guy on the totem pole. It would be like today if you had a job and your job was to take out the trash and empty the you know, oil in the deep fryers. I mean, you just, it was the job that, that was lower. You were not managers. So they walked through and that servant in the corner as they would come in, they would go around and they'd wash their feet. They would wear sandals. Their feet were dirty. Everywhere they went, their feet were dirty. Well, because of the fact that their tables were only 12, 14, 16, 18 inches tall, they would sit on the ground and they would put their feet to the side and they would stick their dirty feet in the face or in the presence of the other guy next to them. So they would wash them clean so they could have fellowship one with the other because they did not want to have that dirt stuck in each other's face. It ruined the fellowship. When Jesus called them up there, no servant was at the door. None. And they got to the point where they were all sitting around. And what's ironic about the fact is they were all arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who, who, is, who is elevated to that position or that level within their life? And it's amazing how when they all walked through the door, nobody washed anybody's feet. Because you would think in our culture, well, if something wasn't done, well, I'll do it. Andrew, come over here. Let me wash your feet. Come on, guys. I don't know where the servant is, but we'll just do it. They all walk through like this. Of, well, I'm not going to lower myself to be the servant. Well, guess who did? Jesus walks over. And he knelt down on his knees. And he took out his outer garment that represented as being a rabbi. And he stood there in the form of a servant. Now, I want to come back and preach this again on the servanthood aspect of it. But that's not where I'm going with this. Jesus kneels down and he begins to take their feet and wash their feet. This is right in the middle of saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood. This is my body. This is my blood. There is a third illustration in the middle of this that we can't overlook. The message goes much deeper as Jesus kneels down. You can imagine as he kneels down, begins to take their nasty feet. I don't know about you guys. Feet are nasty. I, 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 don't, I don't want to touch or hold. Or, it's just gross. And Jesus takes their sandals off and he begins to take a rag in that water and begins to scrub the dirt off their feet because Jesus wanted to fellowship with them. John 13, 6 says, And then cometh he, Simon Peter, and he saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What, what I do thou knowest not. It's not about washing feet, Peter. What I'm doing is not just about washing feet, Peter. Peter said, And thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Do you guys think that there was more going on in this passage other than just washing feet? When God said, if I don't wash your feet, I can't have anything to do with you, Peter. 
There's a whole lot more going on than this. You see, the, the message is that God was about to tell them through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be made clean. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Jesus took it a step further when he was talking about because he was holy and he was righteous and he was God and he was perfect. And the holy, righteous, perfect God. Give me your feet. Give me your feet. Let me, let me, let me see that dirt in your life. Let me see that. Peter, give me your feet. Give me the nasty feet. And God began to take their nasty feet and began to wash the dirt so that he could have fellowship with him so that he could sit there with the bread and the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me put it like this. Jesus came to confront our sin. Jesus didn't just say, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of your lust. I'm aware of your greed. I'm aware of your premarital sex. I'm aware of your attitude. I'm aware of that drug. I'm aware of those things. Jesus, God, Savior, Lord, took their sin. If that doesn't just boggle your mind alone, He didn't save us from afar. He stepped into our world. He came to the brokenhearted. He came to those that were sick. God hates the guilt in your life. He is bothered by your sin. He is bothered by those things that rob you of your joy. He's bothered. He stepped into your life to confront those things. We struggle to fix ourselves. Let me walk you through Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering, offering, oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. Now I know in the Old Testament, this is, this is the way it was. They would do the altar, they would do the sacrifice, they would do those things, and it would never cover their sin. It was never good enough. And they would have to go back and go back and go back, but it never could cover their sin. Do you realize that a lot of the things that you do is great things? Going to church, singing the choir, helping with Bible school, helping out the neighbors, doing good deeds, giving food to the poor. All those things are good things, but they can never take away the guilt. Doing a lot of good make you feel good for a moment, but it doesn't fix the problem. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down. You know why? Because it was done. Everything that you need to be made clean has already been done. He sat down. Let's see if I can grab one of these chairs. I know on the cross, Jesus said it is finished. But when it comes to you trying to fix yourself, this is the attitude of Christ. It's done. What are you doing? Stop it. I'm do it. You can't do it. Stop working at it. Stop working at it. Still feel guilty? You're going to keep feeling guilty. You can't do it. I can do it. You will try. You, you, you will sit there and do all these different things. What can wash? Never mind. Okay. He sat down. Here's not, not only did Christ confront our sin, but he came to conquer our sin. See, in verse 12, we, we, we emphasize the, the guilt that you can't overcome and the fact that Satan is an accuser of the brethren and the fact that he throws it up to your face and the fact that he reminds you of it all the time. 
And all those things that are more powerful and more convicting than what you can handle held us captive, controlled us. You can imagine the visual of the cross where sin was defeated and Satan was defeated. I love this verse. Listen to this. Verse 13. Well, let's read verse 12 with it. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Do you guys get that? This is, this is the devil in sin. And God says, what are you talking about? God said, why are you letting that run your life? I conquered that. I had the victory over that. I have the victory to, to change all that. You don't have to be guilty. You don't have to live with feeling unworthy. You don't have to live with sin. You don't have to keep covering up. Your covering does not change the inside. Only God can. He confronted, he conquered. In verse 22, listen to this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. Here's the last thing. He confronted our sin. He conquered our sin. But thank God he covered our sin. On the cross, he paid for our sin debt. The sin that doomed us to hell. Hebrews 10, 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Here's the visual. And this, this just works, okay? This is the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the thing is, the only thing that will change you is the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See, when Jesus became the propitiation of our sins, he became the covering of our sins. As long as our life is like this, then let me tell you, and you're trying to fix it, and you're trying to change, and you're trying to manipulate the situation, as long as it is like that, you will be reminded constantly, but listen to verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You say, how is that possible? We did a whole study on this on Wednesday night. Because when it's covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, every time God sees you, he sees the blood. Every time he sees you and what you've done, and you sit there and say, Lord, I'm so unworthy. God says, unworthy? What are you, what are you talking about? I, I just see what I've done for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins. And to what? From all unrighteousness. There's a holy work that God does. When we pull off the packaging, when God says, all right, here, let's get through this. We start digging through that and God gets out of there and says, what have you done? Lord, I'm sorry. What have you done? I'm sorry. Lord, I feel guilty. I know. Lord, I feel unworthy. I know. And God sits there and covers us with what we could never do ourselves. That is why the verse says that we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You say, how is this possible? See, on the cross, he paid for the sin. He covered it up. And just so you guys get, I know as lost people, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is how it is. We, we are lost. We're unworthy. We feel guilty. We hear all these things that we have in our life. And when we have the blood of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. Christ covers us. When you look, he looked at us and said, you're unworthy to go to heaven. We're unworthy to be called the, the, the children of God. God has made us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I'm talking to everybody here. 
I know I have the blood of Christ. I know I do. But that does not mean that we don't struggle with our sin. That does not mean that we don't struggle with our flesh. That doesn't mean that we're, we're above sin or above these things. That is not true. And when we, when we come for communion tonight and we sit there and say, Lord, I, I, I feel dirty. We wash our hands. We cleanse ourselves. Where we're reminded of what Christ has done to put those sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's the difference that Christ makes. Because David's whole thing was, Lord, make me clean. Make me clean. It changes in Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, turn to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It changes your attitude. It changes your perspective to be able to come before the presence of God worthy because of what he's done for you.